passage and the right message for this afternoon. Uh, so if you will, turn with me in the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai, that's one of those little books that are hard to find in the back of the Old Testament. The book of Haggai, and we're going to <clears throat> take as our text chapter 2 and verse 10 through 23, but I'm going to cover several things in the whole book. It's just two chapters long. And uh, <clears throat> for the last 20 years, God's used the book of Haggai in my life, uh, dealing with me about missions, about His call, but a, a multitude of other things. And it is just wonderful to see how God's Word is so rich that we could spend a lifetime in just a few verses and still have more to glean, more to mine out of this precious Word. And so we thank God for it. And I also want to thank you for taking such good care of us. We're so grateful to be continually uh, supported by your church, and I know that is through your sacrificial giving, and, and that's what helps us to be able to continue on the road and also to do what we do in helping prepare missionaries and the work that we do in Mongolia currently. And uh, we're just very, very grateful for all that you do for us as a family. And, and so Pastor gave me a little something this afternoon, and uh, I said, we don't need it. We, we already have been blessed. We we're already full, but he insisted that I take it. So we use some of it to go through the McDonald's. And, um, you know, we're just really blessed that we can just pull up to a restaurant like that in the United States. And, you know, a few seconds later, hot food comes out. Isn't that amazing? And uh, yet, so we were ordering our food and I was ordering so many of this and so many baskets of that. And they're running a special right now. And so when I said, we need seven of this and we need three of that. And the lady said, seven, seven. She said, just a minute, I'm going to have to figure this up. So it took about five minutes just to get back with me. And she said, seven. I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, she said, okay. So when I pulled around the big van and I said, we got to keep these babies fed. She said, oh, okay. Yeah, I understand now, but uh, thank you for helping us keep our babies fed on the road. We're very, very grateful for all that you do for our family. And the Lord really does supply when you serve Him uh, with your life. And I trust that we're all serving God in the place that God has for us, um, whether it's the mission field or some other ministry, or it's serving God in your local church and through your work. All of this is what we do in our Christian service for the Lord. And God has promised that when we live as that, that living sacrifice, that He will bless us, that He will take care of our needs. And uh, as Christians, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, we're very wealthy. We, we just have all that we could need, a pleasant plenteousness of all of the blessings of God. And uh, you may be saying, okay, now, Brother Richie, you're starting to sound like one of those charismatic preachers, the blab it and grab it, name it and claim it crowd. And I'm really not. Uh, the difference between them and me is <clears throat> they expect God to give it to them. And I expect to get all of God. Do you see the difference? Uh, God has all wealth and all of the cattle on a thousand hills and all of the wealth and all the mines. And we sing about it. Uh, he doesn't give that to us directly. For the most part as Christians, uh, we don't have uh, the millions and billions that some like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or these guys have. Uh, God doesn't give it directly to us, but He will give it through us. And uh, we know that as long as we have Him, we have all that we need. Uh, it's the difference between my children saying, Dad, give me a $1,000. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to do that. Uh, I don't have it to give to them, and I'm not going to do that. That would be unwise. But, you know, if they broke their leg, went to the hospital, and needed 
someone to pay $1,000 to cover the setting of that bone, I'm sure God would help me find that. And I would take care of that for them. See the difference? So as we have needs, God provides for us. And the Christian's wealth is not what we hold in our hands, but it's who we have in our hearts. It's Jesus Christ. And with Him, we have all the blessings that we could ever want. That is the secret of the dedicated life. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about an Old Testament example of what we discussed this morning. Uh, The people of God who had come back as the remnant uh, back to the land after God had exiled them into Babylon. And now they're living in the land and God has tasked them with a special work. And so we're going to read the the, the, uh, text here and then we'll pray and get right into the message. Haggai 2, and beginning in verse 10, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine, or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat, for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail in all the labors of your hands, yet ye turned not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth from this day, will I bless you? And again, the word of the Lord came into Haggai the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we approach this passage of Scripture, we ask you for a double portion of your Holy Spirit power. Give us wisdom and understanding, and then I pray that you would equip us and give us the strength to make whatever decision you're asking of us. Lord, I thank you for the offer, the opportunity that you give us this, this afternoon in our Christian walk, Lord, to have a greater wealth of blessing from you and from your hand if we'll but make the right choices. I pray that you would speak to us, continue the work that you're doing in our hearts today, and equip us for the week to come. We ask these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The book of Haggai is very interesting. It's a pivotal book, and it's but one of several that God was using, uh, this message through Haggai, several God was using at that particular time to deal with his 
people Israel. This is the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. This is the time of, of, um, uh, of Zechariah. And, and God is using these different prophets and leaders to help His people in a new chapter. And uh, we see that the children of Israel had uh, made some mistakes in their life. Uh, they had to turn from God and they turned to idols. And anytime we look to something other than God for our supply, that's a huge mistake. Uh, it's sin, but it's also a mistake on our part because these cannot see, they cannot hear, they cannot taste, they cannot touch. And yet sometimes we think that this world system, uh, which can become idolatry, will be our supply. And Israel had turned from the God of heaven and they turned to the sticks and stones and the, the meager uh, gods of gold and silver that the heathen were worshiping and God brought terrible judgment because of it. And in fact, uh, even the place where God had, had placed His name there in Zion, that temple of Solomon, was torn down and melted down and destroyed because God was showing them it's not about this down here, it's about what I think and what I am in heaven. And so God's people went into uh, exile. And we have uh, uh, the messages of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and uh, the lamentation as we consider the suffering that God's people went through because of their sin. But I'm so thankful that God is very good to us to give us a second chance. Like uh, the prophet Jonah, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. And God speaks to us again with words of comfort. And He says, return, return. As we come back to God and find Him anew, our supply and our wealth and our blessing, God indeed will start a new chapter in our lives. I don't know about you, but I think uh, I have had those points in my life where I had to stop and reassess, and God has given me a new chapter. In some ways, I look at this as a new chapter in our lives. Um, and not, not that I was in sin before, but rather that God is doing a new work. And I, I think God is continually wanting to do a new work in us uh, individually, but also corporately and revitalize His church for His purposes. And so we see Israel in this kind of a time. Uh, they had come back from Babylon and they're poor as church mice, okay? Uh, they don't have anything, but they're obedient to the Lord. The people are trying to serve the Lord, and we don't have time to look at the whole story. It would take us much more time than we have tonight, but I'll summarize. Uh, we see that God's people understood that God wanted them to return and build the temple again for His namesake, for His glory. And so they did, and, and that was according to the proclamation of Cyrus, who was a heathen king, and yet it's interesting, he said, God has told me to build him a house. Isn't it interesting how God can use even a heathen king to accomplish his purposes? And so God's people came, and they rejoiced, and, and they laid the foundation of the temple, and they blew the trumpet, and what was it like what Solomon had done with his thousands of sacrifices and his full choir and, and all the gold and the silver and everything that they had had before. No, it wasn't. But it was what God wanted for them for their time, and they rejoiced in it. But as it is, anytime we're doing something for God, the devil began to work as well. Uh, he stirred up uh, Sam Ballot and Dubai. You know these guys, Gershom and the other guys around uh, that did not want to see God's people blessed, and they began to hire lawyers. Uh, how many of you like lawyers? Sometimes lawyers can get on the wrong side of things, right? They hired lawyers, and they wrote letters, and they convinced the leadership that Israel was trying to rebel, and because of that, instead of trusting God, uh, God's people just kind of went, 
And they retired to their homes and they began to just live life and God's house continued to lie waste. Have you ever just went about the things of God? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's, it's human nature or, or if it's just unique to me, but I've had times like that when uh, I feel like, what's the use? We might as well just quit. Might as well just give up. That's where God's people were here. God had started blessing them, uh, but they'd given up on what God had given them a vision to do, what He'd actually commanded them to do. And so for 15 years, they're just there building their homes and planting their vineyards and, and planting their fields. And we read all of this in the first chapter of Haggai, uh, where God says, uh, you've been planting your fields and trying to harvest your olives, and you've been doing all of these things. And not once does God say that they were worshiping idols. Not once was, did God say that they were in deep sin, but God makes it very clear that their priorities were wrong. Uh, they did not see their lives as uh, having a purpose of glorifying the God of heaven, Jehovah. Uh, they saw their lives as just to, you know, to occupy, to marry their children off, and, and to you know, build their farms, and just to just sort of live life. And, and you know what? What was past was past. But rebuilding God's work is just not something we can do in the future. That's where God's people were. And God said that He began to uh, touch the work of their hands and uh, where they would go to, to find an extra harvest, uh, they were only getting half or they were getting less. Uh, they, they earned their wages, but it was like it was in a bag with a hole in it and it began to dribble out on their way home. And before you know it, it wasn't there anymore. Have you ever had that kind of an experience? I know I have. Uh, the people were looking not to idols. Now they were looking to themselves to provide, and they had forgotten to make God the priority. And uh, God, you know, He's a jealous God. Uh, he's not willing to be second place in our lives. Uh, and you don't have to uh, live in deep sin for God to uh, not be blessing you. All you have to do is just live for yourself or live for anyone else or, or just do your own thing and forget to make God number one. God does not want to just be important in your life and in mine. God wants to be preeminent. And that's what God is saying to the people here in the first chapter. And we could look at how God dealt with them. He said, listen, I want to bless you, but until you make me a priority, I'm going to blow on, on this that you have and it's just going to disappear and float away like chaff on the wind. Well, listen, the good news is the people heard the Word of God, and instead of rejecting it like their forefathers, and God had sent so many prophets to Israel before the, the destruction and before the rebellion uh, uh, and, and that brought about uh, the, the demise of the kingdom. Uh, God had sent so many prophets, but their forefathers had not listened. These folks listened to God. They heard what God was saying. And the Bible says uh, very clearly in verse 12 and verse 13 that the people feared God. This is chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. The people feared the word of the Lord, and then they obeyed or followed His commandment. And then it's very interesting, God brought along the feelings and stirred up their desire to do what He wanted them to do. I think that progression is very important. And all of this is background to what I want to share with you this evening. Uh, God didn't bless them first. God didn't even stir up their hearts to do what was right first. God waited for them to take that first step of obedience. And then as they did, he began to stir up their hearts. Uh, it's kind of like when you ask your children to clean their room and they say, well, I don't feel like it. Have you ever wondered what that has to do with it? 
That doesn't have anything to do with anything there, does it? Whether you feel like it or not, I've asked you to clean your room, so you're going to clean your room. Uh, but you know what? Oftentimes when uh, that child cleans his space, his room, uh, they enjoy their room a lot more afterward, don't they? And they appreciate it a lot more. I know I've had that experience in my life. Uh, God says, go to church. And I say, God, I don't feel like going to church. But Jason, you're the pastor. Uh, but I don't feel like going to church, God. That, that has nothing to do with it. Go to church. And so I get up and go to church. And when I get in, in God's house and around God's people, what a blessing. And the, the feelings come, don't they? The motivation comes as we are obedient as part of the grace of God. And so the people, they, they begin to obey the Lord and they, they came back and they begin to build the house. And, and God was blessing. Now, <clears throat> we look at our text today and it really seems to be uh, sort of an oxymoronic, right? Uh, at one point, God says that the people are unclean. Uh, he says that the people have not been blessed. And then he says, at this point, consider now in verse 18, from this day, I'm going to bless you. Something obviously happened. Something happened from uh, their previous state, their attitude, their obedience, uh, their lifestyle. Something happened, and God says, now I will bless you. Let me ask you a question. Does God change his mind? He doesn't. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Jesus Christ is immutable. Uh, our God is not capricious. He doesn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to punish you. And then the next day, wake up and say, uh, I I'm going to bless you. In fact, he doesn't even wake up. He's just constant. So the only thing that can change and the only thing that changed in our story was, was us, the people, right? Uh, the people had, as the old preacher said once, uh, gotten under the spout where the blessings come out. Uh, God is a blessor, but He can only bless us according to His terms. And so uh, if we want to receive a blessing this, this afternoon, if we want God to bless us indeed, then we need to understand how God blesses, why God blesses, and we need to align ourselves with the blessings of God. Now these blessings are both communal and personal. If you read in the book of Haggai, it talks about specific things like your crop and your family, but it's also the nation of Israel, and so it is for us. Uh, we live in a different time, in the age of grace, and yet the principles of God are the same. And God, if, if an individual and in a family says, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, I'm going to get right, I'm going to be that living sacrifice, I'm going to com commit myself completely to the Lord, whether anyone else in that family is doing so, God will bless that person. Uh, when a church gets together, and they say, we're going to get in a place where God can bless us. There may be a, 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 an unsanctified un, uh, brother over here or a disgruntled sister over there. And I'm not gesturing to any one person, just so you know. But uh, they may not experience those blessings, and yet God will bless that church. And so we want the blessings of God, and we need to understand some things from our text here that will help us to, to realize that. So the first thing we need to see is, uh, positionally. We are in an unmerited position, an unmerited position of blessing. Uh, lest, before we look at the other things that I want to talk about here in the remainder of our time, lest you get the wrong idea, this is not a merit system, okay? It's not karma. It's not, uh, I do this for God and He does that for me. 
God is not an ATM machine where you go to him and you push his buttons just right and it spits out cash. You understand that, right? Uh, God is, is above all of that. Uh, and so it's not about us doing everything just right and holding ourselves just right and do, you know, crossing all our T's and dotting all our I's and then God will bless us. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about getting in a right relationship with the one who is the blessor. Uh, getting in a right relationship with God. And I'm here to tell you tonight that this is an unmerited position. You don't deserve it. Uh, we got saved by grace, and we talk about that a lot, don't we? For by grace are you saved, praise God. But you know, you stay saved by grace as well. And you receive the blessings of God by grace. You don't deserve that. Uh, we are only acceptable in the Beloved in Jesus Christ. We're not acceptable in and of ourselves, even as converted sinners. God is still being gracious to us when He gives us blessings. It's an unmerited position. Uh, it's a position of salvation. We've talked about that. We won't spend a lot of time there. That's unmerited. It's not of works of righteousness that we've done. Uh, it says in Titus 3, 5, but according to His mercy, that He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, but, but also sanctification, separated unto God. Why are we blessed? Because we're God's chosen people. Because we're God's uh, chosen priesthood. Uh, because God has a purpose for our lives. Why was God wanting to uh, bless Israel so much? Because they were His chosen people. God wanted to bless them but they were undeserving. Uh, look back at our text, if you will, and see this principle. Now this is God speaking to them after they're being obedient, after they've turned from their callousness and turned back to God. And God explains a principle. I can call it the uh, glass of water principle, okay? Um, if you take a glass of dirty water uh, and you put a drop of clean water in it, does it make it clean water? No, it doesn't. We understand that. If you take a glass of clean water and you put a drop of dirty water in it, does it become dirty? Yes, it does. And that's what God is reminding uh, the people here in speaking to the priests. Uh, there were ceremonial law that uh, caused the priest not to be able to touch certain things. And if they did touch certain things, uh, then they were unholy. On the other hand, by being holy and sanctified, if they touched other things, it did not make those things holy. You understand the principle here. And God is saying, just because you did some good stuff now, just because you obeyed me a little bit now, that doesn't make you automatically meritorious. You don't deserve my blessing, just so you know. A little bit of good obedience and a life of mistakes and failures does not make a perfect person. You understand that? Um, just because we're trying to obey the Lord right now doesn't mean we deserve His blessings. It's all of His grace. And that's what God's reminding them of. Unless uh, they begin to feel that they had bought God off with their service. And so we're saved by grace, salvation. We're sanctified and brought into a position as kings and priests before God by grace, by grace. And we serve by grace. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ that be reconciled to God. But 
what was this? Paul called it a dispensation, a stewardship that he had been given. Was he deserving? He said, no, I'm the chief of sinners. But God's grace, God's grace upon you and upon me uh, calls us to this unmerited position. We're chosen agents of, of heaven with a great commission. Isn't that an amazing thought? And we need to understand that as a foundation before we move on to the next part. The reason that the charismatic crowd thinks that they're going to twist God's arm behind his back and make him pour out the material blessings that they want uh, is because they don't understand this. There's no way that we can merit the blessings of God, but he gives them to us freely because he loves us and because he's gracious. So an unmerited position. But I want us also to see here, even though God reminds them, you're unclean, you're undeserving, uh, God reminds them that <clears throat> they've been looking to the work of their hands. Uh, he smote them with this blasting and mildew and hail. That's in verse 17. But he said, despite all of this, I want you to consider from this day of obedience, and I'm going to bless you. And I see in this passage an unlimited provision of God. We have an unmerited position with God, and that's why He can bless us. But we also have an unlimited provision in God, and that's why we are blessed. Uh, we could see this as uh, chosen stewards of a vast fortune. Have you thought about that? Um, if you're serving God and taking care of your family, and you're serving in your church, and you're giving out the gospel, and you have a need... Uh, you have a, a, an unlimited supply to draw on. Um, that's the principle of stewardship, isn't it? Uh, if I own something, then I own it. But if someone else uh, entrusts something to me, they own it, but I'm a steward of it, then it's not mine, but I still have access, don't I? I still have a blessing. I brought home a little souvenir for the boys from Mongolia. It's very interesting. I hadn't seen these before, but I had studied in history that Chinggis Khan... Uh, created this passport system uh, in the old empire. And uh, it was uh, this sort of uh, oval-shaped disc of metal, usually gold or silver. They had different ones for different officials. And that disc was the passport that they would use when they were traveling around the largest contiguous land empire in history. Uh, the old, you remember Marco Polo and Kublai Khan and just a vast empire. And so uh, he would send out all of his uh, minions across the empire and they were uh, carrying forward with the haste of the king. They didn't have time to drag uh, carts of treasure behind them to accomplish his word. And so he devised this passport system so that anyone showing this passport, this golden disc uh, 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 with writing on it. Uh, he had all the power of the king behind him, and he had the right to access any treasure house or any storage. And so all along his way, he was able to have the supply. Now, he didn't have it on his person. It wasn't in his pockets. It was not in his purse. And yet he still had it because he was the emissary of the king. That stewardship that we have ought to encourage us. God wants to bless our families. He wants to bless our churches. He wants to bless us with the supply that we need, both physically and spiritually. The Bible talks about all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. All that we need in heaven's storehouse at our disposal as we serve Him. That is the unlimited provision of God. 
And once we understand the principle of stewardship, that all we have is from God, and that frankly, if I need more, and God knows I need more, then God will provide, it gives us great faith to proceed and to serve Him. This uh, uh, place of stewardship is unmerited, Uh, but because I am His steward, I have an unlimited provision. I am the steward of a vast fortune, all that God has. Now, have you ever thought about this? Anytime you do something for the Lord, anytime you give something to the Lord, anytime that you try to accomplish anything for the Lord, there are really two agents involved. Two agents. Um, There is your volition, there's your decision that's involved, and God is very good to give us a place. You know, He doesn't have to because He's sovereign, but He gives us a place uh, to participate, to make choices. And so there is that agency involved when you put something in the offering uh, and when, or when you serve in the church or you do something in your family, uh, you're making that decision and nobody can take anything away from that. And one day we're going to receive a reward and a blessing. But if you thought about the fact that um, everything we have, to have is God's, and so when I give something in the offering, uh, I'm giving, but God also necessarily is giving. Uh, when I do something for God, I'm doing, but God also necessarily is doing something through me because He gives me life and breath and, and spiritual power to accomplish His will in this earth. Uh, when I serve my family, I am serving them, but also Christ is serving them through me. And so there's this, this dynamic duo that we have in the Christian life. God in me. And that's why Paul said to the Colossians that it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Turn with me over there if you don't mind. And we're going to look at an amazing verse, the last verse of chapter 1. Colossians. Paul is talking about his stewardship, the ministry that God has given him. He's made a minister for the church He's made a minister for the gospel's sake. Uh, But then we see this dynamic duo, this working of God in and through Paul as we look at the last part of the chapter. Look at this with me, if you will. Whereunto I also labor, there's Paul, striving according to his working, there's the Lord, which worketh in me mightily. So Paul didn't expect to accomplish God's work on his own. He saw himself in partnership with heaven. Uh, So we see Paul is laboring and striving. But we also see God is working, and that mightily. And God wants us to recognize that. That's stewardship. As I serve God, Christ gives me what I need to serve Him. As I give to the work of God, God gives me back what I need in order to give. That's that that dynamic duo, that relationship we have got with God. And because He is our supply, and because God is infinite, we have an unlimited provision in Him, in Christ. That's why Hudson Taylor could say with all boldness, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. How could he make such a bold statement? Because he knew God because he recognized his unmerited position as an emissary, an ambassador, as Paul said, for Christ, uh, because he understood that he had an unlimited provision that he was a steward of, and though he might not have those coins jingling in his pocket, that his heavenly Father knew what his needs were, and and he wouldn't let his emissary, his ambassador, uh, lack for any supply. 
What an amazing thing. Uh, we can actually see this in this story. I, I won't take time, but if you look over at Ezra 3 uh, and then in chapter 6, uh, we see that the people started the work on the temple out of their own pocket. It said they took their own money and they paid workers to start bringing the stone. Um, but then what happened was the people around them, they got stirred up and they wrote some more letters off to the king and they said, wait a second, Darius, uh, they're saying that Cyrus said to build this temple, um, but we think they're trying to rebel. Why don't you look into it? And so Darius made this search throughout all the scrolls. It's an amazing story. And you know what? He came across that original decree. But when he did, he noticed that not only had Cyrus said to do it, but Cyrus had said to pay for it. And so he wrote the very enemies of God back and he said, yep, they're doing what they're supposed to. And by the way, everything that they need to build this temple, you reimburse them because this is the law. What an amazing thing. The people started trying to pay for this temple and yet in the end, God paid them back. That's, that's the way it works. That's that dynamic relationship we have with God. And so as we learn that, we can trust in Him. Philippians 4, 8, 19 says this, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know the context of that was a, an offering that they had sent to Paul? Uh, and, and Paul said, God's going to bless you. He'll supply your need. Uh, Luke 6 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. And the same goes for service. Mark 10 and verse 29, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold right in heaven. No, it doesn't say that. It says an hundredfold now. An hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. God's honest with us. And in the world to come, eternal life. God will be debtor to no man. And so when we cast ourselves upon Him as that living sacrifice, every moment, every day, to do just what He wants us to do, and we extend ourselves, God has promised to extend all the wealth of heaven, uh, the blessings in Christ, all of it is ours. And so we can trust in Him. And that brings me to my last point. Brothers, sisters, if you've recognized that as a saved person, you have an unmerited position of blessing in God, all that you need is, is, is provided to you, that, that it's an unlimited provision, can never run out, it can never be exhausted, it can never be tapped. No matter how much of our time or talent or treasure we give to the Lord and His work, and a service in our local church, God is going to take care of our needs. Then we, we come to this um, unequivocal proposition that God gives to us. It's very clear. And that is that if we will trust God, and if we will serve Him first, that all these things will be added unto us. We are the chosen recipients of a fab fabulous offer. God is asking you today to give, you, uh, give Him all you have. And it's not much, by the way. None of us have much to offer God. Uh, it's like that little boy with five loaves and two fishes. It's, you know, the disciples weren't wrong when they said, what are these among so many? They really weren't enough. Uh, but it didn't matter. 
uh, what mattered was whom he had given them to. He didn't try to give them directly to the crowd. He gave them to Jesus. And as he gave all that he had to Jesus, then Jesus gave all he had back. And he went home with 12 baskets full. We're talking about tangible things, but this works in spiritual realm as well. When you give your, your first fruits of your time to the Lord, like we heard in Sunday school this morning, Dr. Stanley, taking time to read his word, taking time to put him first. You know, he adds to our day. I don't know how he does it, but you've experienced that, haven't you? God makes enough time for everything else. Uh, that's uh, the promise that we have. It's an unequivocal proposition. If you will give all that you have to me, I will give all that I have to you. If you'll put me first, then I'll bless you. That's what God is saying to his people in this passage. And he even says to the governor, I'm going to make you like a signet ring. You know, a signet ring was a, 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 an authority. Uh, you know, you, you showed the signet ring. People knew that you were the king's right hand man. But it also unlocked the storehouse of all the blessings. And, and, and God said to Zerubbabel, uh, all these nations around you, they're going to fall. Uh, the chariot and the horses, they're going to come down and, and they're going to be destroyed. And I think of what we're, is going on in the world today. Folks, we, we could be gearing up for World War III. We don't know. Uh, all the nations in a turmoil, and yet uh, the safest place you can be is a signet on the hand of Jehovah God Almighty having all that you need to accomplish His will in the world. That is the proposition that God is giving us. You know, it's, it's not a, we give everything to God and then that's it. No, we give everything to God and then God gives everything that He is to us. And it, what a wonderful thing. And so if we'll do that, there are five things, and I'll wrap up with this, five things that God has promised will result from this partnership. If we'll accept this unmerited position that we've received by grace, that of being His chosen people, and we'll put Him first and go and build His house and serve Him with our whole heart, then He's promised. He says, then will I bless you. And these five things will come out of this wonderful connection with the Lord. First of all, we, we know there'll be praise to the Father. God will be praised. God will be glorified. Uh, in Philippians chapter 2, um, in the first part of that chapter, we see the example of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus who became a servant, the kenosis, the emptying of Himself, not of His personality, but of His prerogative. Uh, he came not to be served as God, but to serve. And He was that suffering servant. And, and Paul said, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we see that the end result of that is that uh, at, at, at the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess that He's Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so when we serve, just as Jesus uh, did not come to do His own will, but to do that of the Father, and, and then uh, God was glorified in Him. So we are to follow His example and not do our own will, but then God will be glorified in us. And actually in, in verse 20, that chapter is, is finished with this. Now under God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That should be our heart's desire. Why are we here? What is our purpose? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so praise to the Father when we recognize our place of His simple servants, stewards of His vast provision, uh, and, and we do His will first then we, we have the promise that the Father will be praised 
and will be fulfilling our purpose, right? But also there'll be provision to the faithful. Praise to the Father, but provision to the faithful. Uh, Matthew uh, chapter 6, you know it well, maybe you've memorized it. Verse 31, 32, 33, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That sounds like a McDonald's Happy Meal to me. Uh, God is going to take care of us. He's going to bless us if we'll put Him first. So praise to the Father, provision to the faithful, and then production of fruit. Production of fruit. John 15, 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Um, it's God's intention to use you and I to bring forth fruit. And, and what kind of fruit? More souls for the kingdom. Uh, God's already doing this in your church, of course. And pastors is telling me some of uh, more about the souls that were being saved. And others were talking about what God's allowed you to do. What a wonderful thing. And that's fruit that God is bringing as you su submit to Him in this partnership that we have with the Lord. And then uh, even the missionaries that you have helped send out around the world, God is blessing you, and they ha are having fruit that will abound to your account. And so we, we see praise of the Father and provision to the faithful and the production of fruit. And uh, I said five, I lied. I'm so sorry, there were four. Uh, I like the number five, I don't know why. No, there are four. A prize in the future. Aren't you thankful for that? One day, God has promised that when all of this is over, we're going to shine as the stars. Uh, he's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then all we know is that we're just going to enter into the joys of our Lord. What those are, I don't know. But I sure want to find out. And I don't want to be one of the guys that's kind of sitting on the outskirts. I don't want to be benched, you know looking at everybody else enjoy the joys of the Lord because they've been faithful and I haven't. I, I know that there's going to be a difference in heaven, uh, that, that some are not, they're going to be saved, but so is by fire. They're not going to have that reward. We don't know what all is laid up in store for us. I just know that all that God has for you and for me is good. Don't you want the prize? Then be faithful now to serve the Lord. Um, you all know the story of uh, a young college student in 1950. <clears throat> Graduate named Jim was preparing to go to the mission field. He was studying linguistics, and he couldn't decide between India or Ecuador. And as he studied and he prepared, God made it clear to him in those months what he should do. And a little bit later, he married a young lady named Elizabeth, and together they dreamed of many years of service to, to God and trying to reach the Quechuan Indians in Ecuador. But uh, one day in the jungle, things went terribly wrong. There was a misunderstanding, and these fierce tribes speared Jim and his fellows to death. The world was shocked, and many newspaper articles wrote about uh, these young starry-eyed men and their wives and their families who'd gone to the mission field. They'd given it all, and for what? 
just to find a martyr's grave on that sandy beach beside the river. And, and yet, uh, later on, they found in Jim's diary this quote that summed it all up. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I think Jim Elliott understood something that we ought to understand this evening. And that is when we give what we cannot even keep ourselves, and we all know um, part of what scared the world about COVID was many people who thought we had a handle on medicine and, and on, you know, taking care of the body. And if we just eat the right vitamins and do the right exercise regimen and get the right amount of sleep, we could, we could pretty much lick this thing called death. And then all of a sudden we realized we had no control and that people uh, really are so fragile Life is, is so fragile. And uh, you're no fool to give up what you can't keep anyway, which is your life. Remember this morning, what is your life? It's but a vapor. To gain what you cannot lose because it's eternal. And that is Christ Jesus and with Him all the riches in glory. Won't you commit your life again? I, I hope you did that this morning if you hadn't already. But if you have, won't you rejoice in your unmerited position? Won't you uh, trust in God's unlimited provision? Won't you accept our Lord's unequivocal proposition that we partner with Him so that He might bless us? Now will I bless you. The people of Israel understood that finally as they were obedient to God's Word. And I trust that we too will be obedient to the Lord and what He is saying to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to the best of my ability, I've shared this message that You laid on my heart this afternoon. I thank You for its continued working in my life, this message. And I pray that I might be more fully dedicated to You. Lord, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I pray that we might get our eyes off of politics. We might get our eyes off of the financial markets. We might get our eyes off of the uh, terrible cultural rot all around us and that we might stand up as your great witnesses, your ambassadors, Lord, that this church might do even more in this last day to, to, to please you and that in that we might find your greatest blessings. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for all that you will do in our lives as we trust you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.